0: Actions were taken by our denomination, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, which, as many of you know, led many of our churches within the fold to reevaluate their membership in the denomination. Our community here at Grace was among this group of churches. Now, this morning, I'm not going to explain what happened within the ELCA or why it happened. That information has been available to our community in a variety of forms for over a year now, and I can point you in that direction after the service if you've been in a vacuum and don't know. What I am gonna do this morning is briefly review how we as Grace approached the question of our continued relationship with the ELCA. For the last year and a half, we have spent a considerable amount of time in prayer, conversation, and discernment. We have voiced our disagreement with the actions taken by the ELCA through face-to-face conversations, written correspondence, and our participation in last year's annual denominational gathering in San Diego. We held cottage meetings. We've had one-on-one conversations with each one of you as you've asked to allow the community of grace to ask questions and express their feedback about these matters. We've invited our local bishop to come and address our concerns and to represent another perspective. We conducted an extensive survey of our congregation to discern where we have consensus and where we disagree. We have encouraged all of you to pray and discuss these matters, the survey results, as well as all of the possible options in light of the ELCA. And now we find ourselves here. You've probably realized by now that I'm not preaching on the book of Exodus this morning. I'm here this morning to share with you our recommendation, the recommendation of your leadership, your church council, in regards to our relationship with the ELCA. To those of you who are visitors or new to Grace, <laughs> you're going to feel like you're listening in on a family conversation, a conversation of which you may not feel like you're a part. Please trust me when I promise you that if you listen well, there's much in this sermon this morning that is applicable to the circumstances of your own life and your family. To those of you who are a part of Grace, you may find yourselves a little taken back by all of this. You didn't expect to hear this news at this time. Please trust me when I assure you that sharing all of this with you was an intentional, thoughtful, and prayerful decision. We wanted the most members and friends of Grace to hear this news together and straight from the source. We didn't want to leave open what I'm about to share to assumption, to gossip, or third-person communication. I encourage you to listen carefully to everything that I'm about to say on behalf of your leadership. And if you can't tell already, sharing this recommendation with you is without a doubt the toughest message that I have ever had to give. And let me be clear right from the outset, All that I'm sharing is a recommendation, a recommendation of your church council, a recommendation, not a final decision. What I offer you this morning is the basis for further conversation, a specific proposal to vote on at another time. This congregation and this congregation alone makes the final decision on how we proceed as grace. With that being said... It is the unanimous recommendation of the Church Council of Grace to formally end our relationship with the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. Now first, and I know you're absorbing what I just said, please let me clarify what this recommendation is not. This recommendation is not a referendum on homosexuality. Grace's faith statement has been clear on this issue long before the ELCA took actions in August 2009 We believe that the only possibility for a full and healthy sexual relationship is between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. At the same time, we do not believe here at Grace in a hierarchy of sin, wherein homosexuality is the chief of all sins. We confess that all, all of us, are sinners who have fallen short of the grace of God. We are all in need of God's grace. Therefore, while we at Grace believe that homosexuality is a sin, we also believe that all are welcome in the kingdom of God. As the people of Grace, and I hope you've heard me say this in other venues, but let me repeat it again. As the people of Grace, we need to honestly wrestle and struggle with how we can minister to those in the homosexual community rather than exclude them. We need to be sensitive to the abuse and prejudice that many in the gay community have experienced, sadly often at the hands of Christians. We must learn, brothers and sisters in Christ, how to embrace without endorsing. We must endeavor to be welcoming without celebrating. And this is no easy task, for there are no easy answers. We can only be this kind of community through our continued reliance and submission before the grace of God. We, as the people of grace, have a lot more prayer, a lot more conversation, and a lot more work to do in this area. Therefore, this recommendation is not about homosexuality. And this recommendation is not an attempt to thumb our nose or stick it to the ELCA. Despite our disagreements, our relationship with the ELCA has been beneficial over the years. When we've needed it, when we've asked for it, we've received strong support from our local synod. And Grace has been blessed through the years by the teaching and ministry of several ELCA pastors, some of whom are among us still today. In our years together, we have participated in many fine and noteworthy missions projects and partnerships. We can and we do remain grateful for these things. This recommendation is our realization, our acknowledgement of a practical reality that we have avoided for too long. The recommendation, if you remember what I said, is for grace to formally end our relationship with the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. The use of the word formally is intentional. As your leadership, reflecting what we have heard from you, as well as from the Lord, we believe grace has already left The ELCA. We parted company with the ELCA a long time ago. We exist as a part of the ELCA now and we have for several years in name only. Our communication about our involvement with the ELCA has been muted for some time. We significantly pulled back our financial support, our invitations to partner together, and our publication of denominational opportunities two senior pastors ago. Our bishop acknowledged as much to me when I interviewed to be your senior pastor. And he reiterated this again when he met with this congregation over a year ago. The call committee that brought me to Grace was a very representative sample of this community. They differed in their opinion on a great many things. But one of the things that they were pretty united on was their definition of Grace as an independent church in the ELCA used to doing her own thing, accustomed to being aloof of the denomination. In our recent survey, one question, and there were many things, and I hope you all looked at the survey results, but in our recent survey, there was one question in particular that I think bears out the validity of what I'm describing about our relationship to the denomination. That question was number 38. Question 38 asked, what do you think that Grace should do in regards to the dispute within the ELCA? Can you put that slide up on the screen? What do you think Grace should do? 16% responded that we should stay in the ELCA and accept the social statement. 53%, that encompasses the last, the bottom three, if you add that together. 53% responded we should try to reason with the ELCA and then leave if unsuccessful or simply leave the ELCA altogether. The more telling figure for me though is the second one. 33% responded we should stay in the ELCA, do our own thing, but not accept the social statement. Now, I know I'm asking you to do math, and maybe some of you are better at math than others. It's not one of my strong suits. That's why I have it written down. But if you add the 53 and the 33% together, basically everything but the 16% that's there, this represents 86% of those surveyed, which is pretty close if you came to the congregational open forum after our meeting in June where I said I wanted 90% consensus, 86% of those surveyed basically agree that we are not seriously connected with the ELCA. Added to this, (laughs) I encourage you not to do that. Added to this, if you reviewed the whole survey, you'll notice that while being Lutheran is very important to our identity as Grace, our affiliation with the ELCA was not a major factor for those who came to Grace, and it is not a major factor for those who continue to stay. On a more anecdotal note, since I've been here, been your pastor for two years, each and every year we have struggled to find volunteers willing to go to the annual denominational gathering. We don't have a waiting list. We have to twist arms. Our relationship with the ELCA is with few exceptions, and there are exceptions, but with few exceptions, pretty much non-existent or apathetic at best. Now I know in saying this, for some of you, you may disagree and some of you may agree but say it shouldn't have gotten this, to this place. That's, I've been upset about this for years. All I can tell you is it is what it is. We are where we are. And some of you might be arguing in your head, well what's wrong with just doing our own thing? If the ELCA, ELCA is okay with it, why not just stay and do what we want to do and keep the status quo? Why change? Our argument that lies behind this recommendation is that it is not healthy to remain in this kind of relationship. It is not good, it is not an effective reflection of Christian community when our independence becomes our identifying marker within the denomination. When our relationship within the denomination is all about our independence, that relationship becomes a hindrance to our witness and our mission as the church. This is a sermon, and in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15 to be specific, we read about what must have been the first split in the church of Jesus Christ, when two of its first missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, parted company. You'll recall that Paul and Barnabas were partners in ministry. Saul of Tarsus had been such a vicious persecutor of Christians that even after his conversion, believers in Jesus were still afraid of him. When Paul eventually returned to Jerusalem following his conversion to Christ, Barnabas had to persuade the disciples to let the apostle fellowship with them. And as a result of this intercession, a wonderful friendship developed between Paul and Barnabas. They became partners in ministry. On their first missionary journey together, John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, accompanied them. Along the way, if you remember, because we just recently studied Acts, along the way, John Mark decided to return to his home in Jerusalem. The reason for his departure, as we talked about then, I'll remind you now, is not specified in the text. But later on, in Acts chapter 15, we read that that has had an effect on the relationship between Barnabas and Paul. I'm reading from Acts 15, verses 36 through 41. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them and had not continued with them in their work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord." Later on, when a second campaign was planned, Barnabas proposed taking Mark as a helper, but Paul resisted the idea. Perhaps, and again, the scripture doesn't say, because in the past, John Mark proved unreliable. Either way, the New Testament, as you heard me read, records that there was such a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas that they parted company. Paul and Barnabas could not reach an agreement, so they split up. They went their separate ways. Barnabas taking John Mark and Paul taking a man named Silas. Scripture doesn't tell us if Paul and Barnabas ever came together again as brothers in Christ. Given the nature of the culture of these times, not having the luxuries of technology and of travel that we do, it is highly unlikely that these two remarkable men ever saw one another again. But What is tragically clear from the fallout between these two men is that Paul and Barnabas no longer work together as missionary partners. Now, I want to emphasize that it would be wrong to conclude from this story alone that Christians have the license to break the fellowship, to leave the church, or separate from a denomination whenever there's disagreement or division. But that being said, this episode does reveal that there are times when believers may still be united in Christ, but for the sake of a greater mission of the kingdom, they will go in different directions. And beloved, we know in the history of the church that many good, well-meaning Christians have and will continue to disagree on matters of interpretation and opinion. The existence of so many different denominations in the church, let alone in the Lutheran branch of the faith, reinforces the sad truth of this statement. The important thing is to keep focused on doing the will of Christ. That is what Paul and Barnabas did. While Paul and Barnabas remained united in their commitment to Jesus, they could no longer see eye to eye on the direction that the Spirit was leading them. Their differing views threatened to become a distraction, an obstacle to the greater work of spreading the gospel. And so even though they were not of one mind, they remained true to one purpose— spreading the saving message of Jesus. They agreed to disagree and parted ways for the sake of the mission. They moved on as God led and blessed. The recommendation that's being presented to you this morning by the leadership of Grace is given in the same spirit. We have spent the better part of the last two decades fighting about or worse, ignoring our relationship to the ELCA, We can continue to live this way, draining our energy and taking our attention away from the work of the kingdom. Or we can decide to part company, to separate institutionally so that the tension between us will no longer get in the way of our shared work of the kingdom. We can stay together and fight at the expense of those to whom we are called to witness and minister. Or we can acknowledge our division, choose our separate paths, and positively get back to God's work without distraction. Beloved, I have wrestled with this as I know many of you have. And beloved, a denomination is not the body of Christ. It's not the church of Jesus Christ. We can search the Bible together this morning and we will find lots of references to the church in local and global terms. We will not, however, find any references to denominational expressions of the church. Denominations are man-made and not divine institutions. Denominations were created for a specific functional purpose, to support and enhance the ministry of the local and global church. Churches exist to do the mission of Jesus Christ. When a church's relationship to a denomination accomplishes this goal, that relationship is an asset to the mission of the kingdom. But when a church's relationship to a denomination gets in the way of this goal, when the denominational relationship hinders rather than helps the fulfillment of the Great Commission, it is time for new wineskins. As your leadership, we believe that grace has been going in a different direction from the ELCA for some time. We need to own this. We need to formally acknowledge our disengagement from the denomination so that we can seek out more healthy, more edifying connections. We need to find a place, brothers and sisters, where we can express our Lutheran heritage, our theological interpretations of the Bible, and our common life as followers of Christ in a way that is healthy and collaborative rather than prideful and independent. This recommendation is as much a reflection of the ELCA as it is of us as the people of grace. Now I recognize this morning, I know already some are going to want to continue to fight and I'm going to suggest that some are going to want to continue to fight for the thrill of adrenaline. There's a real sense of urgency among some of us in our community to battle for the Bible and we do need to continue to wrestle with how we read and interpret the scriptures together. But, beloved, I believe that God's word can take care of itself. I believe the word of God requires no defense. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It will not return void or empty, and it always accomplishes what it purposes. Some may want to battle for the Bible, but here at Grace, we make the decision today to be about building the kingdom. Others among us may want to dither for the angst of disagreement there are those who are becoming, not just in our community, but in our, the Christian church, almost fanatical about standing up for truth. And while it is crucial that we do not shy away from stating our beliefs clearly and acknowledging our differences, we need to express what we believe without denigrating each other. We sacrifice the truth that we purport to defend when we malign each other. Some may want to stand up for truth, but today this recommendation represents that we at Grace are about speaking the truth in love. And then there are those in our community who may want to sit and long for the good old days. There's a fine line, my friends, between grieving and despair. I say that with all seriousness. And that fine line between grieving and despair is found in the refusal to move forward, to recognize the changes that have already happened. It is all too tempting to to continue to ask the same questions. How did it all come to this? Why can't it be like it used to be? We can be tempted just to continue to ask the same questions rather than living where we actually are. Some may want to try to go back to a former time. This recommendation is about moving into the future. I hope when you look through the survey results that you notice the absence of voices under 45 years of age. It was sobering and telling that within that survey, people who are 45 years and younger did not feel that that survey spoke to them or that they had anything to say. They aren't interested in this debate. And anecdotally, I can tell you from asking around on our school campus and asking around within our community of those 45 and under, let me reflect back to you that from that contingency of our community, they tend to think that we're confused, that we're divided, that we're dying based upon all the time and energy that we're putting into deciding where we stand with the ELCA. This group, the younger generation, the generation that will come up after us, has enough troubles and worries of their own. And as someone once put to me, I have enough going on in my own life, enough that I can't figure out why would I want to come to grace if you guys are so confused, so divided, and frankly, so dying. Beloved, fighting for thrill is sinful. Dithering is wasteful. And longing for the past is unproductive. We must, like Paul and Barnabas, make difficult but loving and purposeful decisions and advance for the sake of the mission. Barring a miracle, and miracles happen, but barring a miracle, Lutherans, as well as other Christians, will continue to be divided. But still, the God we worship in Jesus Christ is a God of redemption. God can redeem the efforts of all the divisions in his church. And God desires to do so and will, despite our differences and our splits. Our role as the church is to focus on the gospel and the mission of the kingdom that God has called us to. And that means getting busy and moving forward. And I want us to understand, in the last part of this message, that how we move forward is vitally important. The fact that Paul and Barnabas chose to walk down different paths did not disrupt the love and respect that they held for one another. One might even argue that perhaps even more work was accomplished for the Lord because of the manner in which their disagreement was handled. Paul would later affectionately mention Barnabas as being worthy of monetary support in his work of proclaiming the gospel. He says this in his first letter to the Corinthians. Years later, Paul even commends John Mark to the Colossian churches And one day, in one of his final letters, he'll tell his own protege, Timothy, to bring Mark along to visit, to share in the ministry. Beloved, following the example of Paul and Barnabas, I want to encourage all of us to choose positive paths in moving forward for the cause of Christ. Make no mistake this morning, the recommendation that we bring before you is the lesser of two evils. I want to speak to you this morning that if you're one who agrees with the recommendation that we're making, please, please avoid communicating your agreement as a victory or a reflection that your side won. The decision that we make, no matter which way it goes, with this recommendation or with another recommendation, is a lose-lose, no matter which way we go. Disagreement in the body of Christ that leads to separation and divorce is always a cause for confession and sadness, not victorious celebration. Please be mindful, those of you who may agree with this recommendation, please be mindful of those in our community who will not and do not share your affirmation. And for those of you who fall into that camp, who are hearing something that you don't agree with, who are hearing something that you don't like, I know, I know this morning that you are shocked, that you're disappointed, you're angry, you may even be bitter. Please know, more than anyone else in this community, you have weighed heavily upon my heart and the heart of your leadership. We do not take what we are saying, what we are recommending lightly. That being said, I want to speak to those of you who may not agree with this recommendation to please think and choose carefully how you respond to what you've heard this morning. Prayerfully reflect on what you've heard. Take your frustrations to the Lord first and avoid the temptation to lash out at those within your own community. Like everyone else, I support your right to speak your mind and vote your conscience. But I caution you, I caution you against getting political, trying to form coalitions, and being divisive. Please respect and do not try to manipulate the feelings and decisions of those with whom you worship alongside. If it comes to it and you find you must leave grace over this, and I pray that that's not the case for one single person here, but if you find you must leave grace over this, with respect, I implore you to leave with dignity, to leave with gratitude, and to not leave by slamming your door on the way out. Because even though, whichever way we go, we may no longer share institutional connectedness with this denomination, we can still experience deep, Christ-centered fellowship with our brothers and sisters who remain in the ELCA We can still love one another, we can still challenge one another, we can still fellowship together, worship together, and serve together without denominational unity. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're doing this already. This is something that we endeavor and accomplish on a regular basis at Curcio, where we worship and partner alongside members of the LCMS who have different convictions, who go down a different path than we do. We do this when we build houses for Habitat for Humanity. We've done this to our efforts through Lutheran World Relief and our participation in Thriving. We can still work together even if we are not unified under the same umbrella. Now, the last part I have to address, and this is business, but if I didn't address it, you wouldn't all hear it, is how do we move forward from here? I want to be really clear about our process and really clear about what we're doing and why we're doing it, it shouldn't take long. We're gonna have two open forums as a result of this recommendation. One of those open forums, as I hope you know, is today at one o'clock. The other one is Tuesday at 6.30. These open forums, let me explain the purpose of them. They are a time for the members and Friends of Grace to come and discuss this recommendation, to 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 be heard and to hear each other. It's a time for sharing feelings and for asking questions. The purpose of these open forums is to prepare us to be able to vote on this recommendation. The purpose of these forums is to be able to have a a time that doesn't have a cap on it where we can talk this through, pray together, and listen to each other. So we're having two open forums, and I'm giving you the formal notice verbally. It'll be in writing from this point forward that we're going to have a congregational meeting to vote on this recommendation on January 23rd. The time will be announced. I suspect it will be after the second service rather than between the services. This is the official notice of that first congregational meeting. The purpose of that first vote, remember I said first, is simply to see, did we get it right? And by we, I mean your leadership. And understand that we really believe that this represents the majority of the community at Grace, but we are fully open as your leadership to come in and be surprised that we got it wrong. The purpose of that first vote is to find out, did we get it right? What happens as a result of that first vote? Well, there are three options. Well, actually, there's two options, excuse me. Either one, we got it wrong, and we go back to the drawing board. We got it wrong. Or two, we got it right. And then we begin to discuss options about, given this, where might we go? We have not even begun even speculating on that, because that would not be appropriate without having that first vote. The first vote is seeing if we got it right. And if we find ourselves as... Uh, This is reflecting, this recommendation, the majority of the community. We also would then now invite the bishop to come back to speak to us. To speak to us on behalf of the denomination, to hear our reasons. I've been in communication with the bishop, as has our council president, but that would be the time in which the bishop would come and speak to us again. And then what would come after that would be a second meeting. And that second congregational meeting and second vote would be for the purpose, if it comes to that, of formally dissolving our relationship. That second vote would be the vote in which it happens. Now, I want to clarify something, because I'm up amongst some of you. According to our Constitution, I hate that I have to get this technical, but so be it. According to our Constitution, only voting members weigh in on this. And voting members are those who have formally joined the church. The language in our Constitution is frankly very vague about what that means to formally join the church. Does that mean you shake my hand and say I wanna join and I say yes? It doesn't specify what that means. Many of you may know or may not know, though it's been for public record, that your church leadership over a year ago, long before this, tried to set some criteria to talk about what membership in grace in good standing looks like. Because, and I don't think you're gonna be surprised by this and we're not the only church that is a victim of it, but we've had a history at grace where we have some people who are members, because sometime 10, 15, 20, five years ago, they joined the church, but they don't worship on a regular basis. They don't give, doesn't matter what the amount is, on a regular basis. They don't come and receive communion. But because of that constitutional provision, whenever there's something to vote on, they show up. And they expect to have rights. Now, those rights are protected. Though I think that it is bad form, and again, a poor reflection of Christian community for anyone to consider themselves a member in grace and to insist to have a right to vote when they don't worship with us, give, and participate in the sacrament on a regular basis. The Constitution gives your church leadership the ability to define member in good standing. There was some debate about whether or not we should vet people for this vote. And as your pastor, as I get to know more and more of you, it's fascinating when I meet people for the first time who tell me they've been members of grace, and in my two years here, I've never seen them before. But, because of how important this is, we are not going to vet people for this vote. Anyone who's a member of Grace is going to come. Anyone. We are going to clean up our membership rolls, but now is not the time. Anyone who is a member of Grace is going to be able to come and vote. But in the same spirit... We have many people at this service and at the second service, and again, it reflects a younger generation for most, but not all across the board, of people who worship at grace on a regular basis. They are consistently here who give on a regular basis and who receive the sacrament, but they have never formally joined the church because they don't understand and really it doesn't mean anything to come to a membership class. They have a right to be heard. Because they not, may not be formally members, but they are members in the spirit of the definition. By their regular attendance in worship, they're giving their participation in ministry in the sacrament. And that is why you see that membership class on January 20th. Because we will give them the opportunity to join so that their voice can be heard. Now, I think that that's fair on both sides. That's not trying to stack the deck. It's trying to give everybody a voice in the process that we have. Now, in case you're curious about how we're supposed to move forward you know, or what percentage we need in terms of the vote, our Constitution says two-thirds. I said I wanted 90% consensus. I still do. But for some, there are some, and you know who you are, who like to hold us to the letter of the law when it comes to the Constitution. And since our Constitution says two-thirds, I can't choose sides. I have to be faithful to what it says. I pray that it's more than two-thirds one way or the other. Two-thirds is, the, is the, what we're looking for. What that means is it means it's important that you come to the open forums as well as to both of those meetings because it's important for your voice to be heard. If you don't come to the open forums, if we don't have a balanced perspective, if, if, if it's only one perspective that's offered at the open forums, then we're going to give a false perception to people. And, if you, and if we, when we come to vote, if you're someone who doesn't care, if you're someone who doesn't have a stake in this, you don't show up and exercise your right to vote, you're going to give a false impression. We all need to participate in this process. We all need to show up and vote our conscience so that we can get a true sense of where we stand as a community. To know where we actually are. Because more than anything else, and I hope you sense this in what I've shared with you in the process we've gone through, I am bending over backwards. We are bending over backwards to get this right. Again, between the lesser of two evils. Okay. Okay. I want to invite Christine and uh, Drew to come forward at this time if they're here. In the 17th chapter of John's Gospel, it's recorded that Jesus passionately prayed for himself, his inner circle, and all Christians who would follow. Poignant for us, if you remember that prayer, is his plea, may they all be one so that the world may believe you sent me. Jesus' petition speaks to many things, but most certainly today, my brothers and sisters, it speaks to our denomination torn apart by two decades of discord and disagreement. How our division must break our Savior's heart, not to mention how it must drive others from the faith. Week in and week out, we say the Lord's Prayer together, and as we say that prayer, in there is a prayer for Christian unity. And the fact that Jesus tells us to pray for unity only gives us a token comfort in realizing that division has and will continue to plague the church until the Lord returns. God is concerned about the unity of his church, beloved. And we should equally be concerned and continue to pray for that unity. But God is also concerned for the mission. When denominational unity, something that is not directly addressed in Scripture, gets in the way of the mission, something that pervades Scripture, it's time for new denominational wineskins. And that is the basis of the recommendation we bring you this morning. To close, I've asked Christine and Drew to share with us a song that in many ways, I hope, encapsulates what I've shared, the basis for this recommendation, and how we will move forward. Please give them your attention.
1: Brothers, let us come together Walking in the Spirit There's much to be From our comforts and they will know us by our love sisters we are made for kindness we can pierce the darkness as he shines through us we will come With a song of healing.